Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're anything like me, it means you'll be working for a very long time. And that also means that you'll be spending more time with the people you work with than the people that you actually want to spend time with. In today's episode, Shell and M will unpack what a good workplace environment looks like versus a bad one. We'll also get some tips around what you can do to try and change things. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. How are you going? Good. I'm excited for this episode. I feel like we could bang on forever about workplace culture. Yeah, we should probably be careful what we say about our own workplaces, though. What do you reckon? I, th- I agree. We'll keep 100%. that for off mic. That's right. <laughs> um, Em. You have worked with so many different and varied organisations and you've seen the inside, inner workings of lots of different businesses. Tell me from your perspective what you think a healthy organisation looks like. You're right. I've seen the insides of a lot of organisations. I have a, a long list of places I would work and probably a longer list of places that I'd think twice about. <laughs> and I, I've given this some thought. So I've given some thought to, well, what are those things that commonly I'm seeing where I chuck them on the the nice list rather than the naughty one? And for me, look, there's the overarching, what are we all working towards? What is the, I'll use, maybe it's a little bit of a buzzy word, but what is the purpose? Why am I getting out of bed every day? Do the people in the organization align to that? And in the work that I do, I'm having organizations often with boards and with executives, so with CEOs. And so what I experience is speaking with those CEOs, hearing their vision firsthand, but I also then get the opportunity to back that up with conversations with employees right through the business. And so for me, one of the the biggest indicators is, is that echoed? Is that purpose? Is that vision, that thing that we're working towards, why we're here, regardless of the role that we're doing, is that echoed through the whole organisation in a way that people are bought into? I think though the other thing is a sense of ownership around that. So when I'm talking to those employees, do they feel like, as I say, regardless of the role that they're there to do, they're actually contributing to that. What they're doing is going to make a difference and bit by bit get the organisation where it's trying to go as articulated by that CEO. Yeah, right. I love that actually the way you framed that of the echoing of the say the CEO's vision in amongst just all the all our staff are actually bought into that vision. Do you see that happening regularly? Uh, I'd like to see it. Ha- probably like to see it happen more regularly than I do. I think when it's there, it's powerful and it's strong, and I really notice it and I get excited. The yeah. people that I work with will actually walk away from one of those meetings or spending time with that client in their business. And we have a buzz about us. And that is something that still remains quite special, maybe a little bit unique. So my answer is probably I'd like to see it more, but I'm certainly really comforted by how often we do see it. I think the other thing that we experience and that we sense is that people are there not just because it's a job. So they're not just giving their time. They're not just rocking up and uh, look, you know, I'll do the tasks that I'm here to do while I'm being paid to do them, but rather they really demonstrate 
a sense of energy and you get that even when you walk through the corridors and we are um we are independent we're not there every day so we're just getting that first impression sense of what does this place feel like and what brings a feeling is is the energy of the people that are there yeah right what would be some of the other things that you think make a good workplace culture look day to day it's things like feedback so when I talk about feedback in this context I'm not talking about a pat on the back I think certainly a bit of praise and recognition is really valuable and contributes to a nice place to be but more than that it's those really raw honest probably uncomfortable at times conversations where you're just going I'm just going to be real here and I'm just going to let you know this is where we're at so really clear expectations matched with a really clear understanding of how that's tracking and that can actually not only be manager to team member it can be peer-to-peer as well I've seen that be really uh, powerful in contributing to a good workplace culture I've also seen um Uh, I guess what I'd call a coaching culture, again, probably a little bit of a HR buzzword, but what does that mean? So that actually for me means how are we bringing out the best in each other by focusing on strengths and not weaknesses and how are we going, well, what's the, what can we do to get the best out of this person based on who they are? Again, you couple that with the things I've talked about around clear expectations, honest feedback and having people feel valued. But I think playing to your strengths is another big one as well. Yeah, great. And I love that authenticity. I think authenticity is so key in a healthy organisational culture where I think the the converse side of that is where you see organisations that maybe cover stuff up. That's yes. where you start to see um, the unhealthy side of workplace culture, but where there's lots of authenticity, open discussion, Transparency. Feedback. Transparency is a big one. Definitely. Yeah. So, so whether it's, I, I mean, I liked your opening good, bad or ugly, regardless of whether it's good, bad or ugly, I think to have that sense of ownership where the organization's owning it, each individual's owning it, and we're being, we're all in it together. We're honest, we're transparent, we're authentic, and we're all in it together, then you'll get through the bad times. Absolutely. So talk to me about the other side, about flip side. What is what is bad or yeah. maybe ugly look like? Yeah, sure. So this one, I think what it's important to remember is, and we'll talk a bit more about this as we go, I, I know, that sometimes this can be in pockets. And so the work that I do allows me to see at times you've actually got a really strong leader who maybe they're a CEO or maybe they're someone else that leads a team and they can identify this and they actually want to change that and so I'll go through uh, I guess a few things that I've got in my mind that I see but uh, I know as we're talking today we'll, we'll sort of say this is not necessarily a one size fits all description for me it's when we start to see um the reverse of what we just described, but more specifically, it might be that there's a high turnover in employees. So if we're seeing a bit of a revolving door when yeah. we're getting to know an organization, that's a bit of a red flag for us. We need to dig a little bit deeper to understand why is that happening? And there's a whole bunch of reasons. One of them could be that it's a toxic workplace culture. Uh, it can even be that there feels like, you know, sometimes you're in a conversation and you feel like whoever you're talking to is not quite giving you everything. Mm. And you're like, there's more to this. And no matter how hard you try to get them to open up, it's just not feeling completely honest, not feeling like they're completely trusting you. Or maybe there's some sort of politics going on and you're just going, right, 
I, I'm getting there's some eyes going across the room, particularly if there's a few people in there. Is there a bit of a, a sort of something at play here? So that can be a bit of a giveaway. I also see it when I'm um, and look, the other, I guess, indicator that I get is sometimes when I'm actually interviewing candidates and they might share with me the experience that they've had in their organization or in, in other organizations they've worked for where they've actually had a discomfort in confiding with confiding in rather their manager or or even um, productive disagreement with colleagues, they can actually feel uh, really uncomfortable or, or fearful of doing that. So that can be a bit of a giveaway as well as things like gossip, um, disregarding the rules. So often when there's a lot of rule breaking, sometimes that can be really creative and, and wonderful, but other times it can actually be quite harmful. And then things like just a pessimistic outlook. So someone brings a new idea to the table and it gets shot down. On that in terms of you're, you're talking about that healthy kind of disagreement and, mm. and the receptiveness to new ideas, all of those things, um, they might be isolated or you might see them in kind of tandem yes. all happening at once. And I think that is where we are able to gauge and assess, you know, is it just kind of in pockets or kind of isolated or is it as a whole, quite a significant issue. Yeah, absolutely. And this idea of having a really healthy workplace is not something that is finite in that we don't hit that and then it's just magically perfect forever. It's actually a constant work in progress. Like any relationship, this is a highly complex relationship between many people, whether it's an organisation of two people, 200 or 2,000, you're constantly working on it. But it's so valuable in achieving greater outcomes for the organization and then greater outcomes for each individual that's working there as well. And I think sometimes it's easier to call out and establish what bad looks like than what good looks like. Yes. Like I I think as human nature, we often uh, look to, we can quickly rattle off, oh, this sucks. This is bad. This is ugly. Like, and I, and because it's much more pervasive, it resonates with the smaller. And so that's why I think lots of people are interested in what, how do I address my toxic work culture? Because we pick up on the bad sometimes more easily than we actually see the good. Well, it's the- a survival mechanism. So it's the same reason why as humans we love reality TV and trash mags. It's because it's drama and we're attracted, our brains from back when we were cavemen, we're attracted to drama because that's how we survive. If there's something that's on our radar that feels like a threat, then all of a sudden we put all of our energy, well, we're putting all of our energy into being alert to those threats in case they come up. And then as soon as they come up, we're like, right, what do we do here? So as humans, we've actually got brains that are built to constantly be on alert for the negative and quickly process and pretty much ignore and not spend a lot of energy cognitively on the positive. One of the things in talking about workplace culture is even the most effective organisations and leadership teams within those businesses, there'll always be pockets or maybe moments in time Mm. where culture is really good and healthy and culture might take a hit and might be unhealthy or even toxic. That's okay. Do you think it's a little bit like sometimes we have a bad day? So we get up and we're like, oh, it's just one of those days or maybe even a bad week or a bad month and we're just in a funk, but we know we'll come out of it. That's it. And you, if we times that and we uh, multiply that on a scale of is it 200 people, is it 2,000 people, we do have those times and those are kind of moments in our employment life cycle and organisational life cycle we might hit a bad stage. That's all right because there's stuff we can do to fix it. Mm, and, well, let's go there. So what is, in your mind, what does fixing it look like? 
So I think the first thing we need to do is to diagnose the problem before we can look at, okay, how do we resolve toxicity in the workplace? It's what, what are we actually experiencing? What are we encountering here? And is it changeable? Is it something that I can shift or with maybe help from my manager, see some changes? And so I think there's a lot more ability. Employees have a lot more ability to shift culture than they maybe exercise and outwork. And so today I'm really keen to dig into, okay, well, how do we actually shift the culture? And is that diagnosis in your mind, Shell, is that a little bit like, well, maybe not a little bit like, is that working out, is this even a toxic culture or not? Totally, because okay. there's, there's always going to be, like you said, employees have bad days, we all have bad days. There's always going to be those moments that are, that are a bit sketchy and a bit mm-hmm. weird and I, I love the weirdness in, in organisations. That's why you do what you do. So I get up in the morning <laughs> just, to, just to examine and uh, uh, diagnose all the weird things that happen. But just because there's bad stuff happening doesn't mean it's toxic. So I think Agreed. we need to take the temperature check. It's like... What's, what's going on? What's the, health, what's the health status within my organization? And so the way I would be looking at this is by going, okay, where does the problem kind of lie? What, where, what are we seeing happening and how broadly is that felt? Is it just in one team? Is it just one manager? Is it isolated or is it the dominant culture? So for example, one of the uh, telltale signs of bad culture is a kind of cutthroat, highly competitive environment. So mm. if you're in this environment that is results at all costs, above people, above relationships, that to me is a real red flag. And I think if that's isolated to one team, maybe a small group, then I would say that's really easy to shift. But if that's widespread, if that's the dominant culture, then I would say that's more of an indicator of a toxic culture. And that example is an interesting one because would you agree or maybe you're welcome to disagree that sometimes on first impressions that can look like high-performing, people are really driven, people are actually really bought into this organisation. So when you're going for an interview and you're asking questions or when you're new to a team, you might be – there might be a narrative that sits around that that says we actually, we kill it, we get big results, we're all really um, driven and passionate and competitive because we're high performers. But actually that can be true, but it could also be that that's the mask for what you've just described as being toxic in the sense that it takes over and it's actually detrimental. That's it. And it's about short-term wins over the long-term business goals. And I think that's looking at, a short-term results or um, performance outcomes that are based on individual performance more important than, the, say, the performance of a team or the performance yeah. of a business unit. And so those are the things I'd be looking for. On that, I think often the issue or the problem is not what we initially think it is. Okay, it's a so, bit of the old iceberg analogy. That, well, that's right. And <laughs> I, I, I think this dynamic happens and outworks really frequently so one of the things that you can see is, well, the manager is the problem. They're incompetent. They're terrible at their job. No one likes working for them. And the manager leaves and then the problem remains. And then the organization says, oh, well, let's do a restructure. Let's reorg because it must be the structure that's the problem. But then the problem still remains and it evolves slightly. And then it becomes more convoluted, more complex and culture takes even a greater hit as a result. And that's one of the dynamics of, if we don't understand the problem, 
we can't solve it. So how do we get into and diagnose what is actually happening in our organisation? What is the actual issue? So maybe we should do a, a bit of a case study and we can unpack a specific example that we've um, had sent to us. But I think not to go off on too much of a tangent because we'll talk about what can you do uh, in later in this conversation. I That resonates for me because uh, in a way that sometimes or I've started to see a pattern in my career where people as individuals will go looking for a pay rise thinking if I can just get – if I can just crack the 70K mark – if I can just get that five grand, not loving my job, but I know I'll be happy then, it'll all be good. If I just get to that that higher salary, I'll be fine. It'll be worth it. And time and time and time again, without fail, I've seen you get the pay rise, nothing changes. The manager goes, nothing changes because that's not the actual problem. Mm, that's right. It's similar. And I think it's, it's getting to um, what is the problem and where does it lie? Is it something I can shift and change. In most cases, everyone has an element of control yep. that they can influence, they can change. But without knowing knowing the actual issue, it's very difficult to do that, yep. I would say. You might not hit the target. Yeah. And so on that, we did have someone uh, submit something through the socials about a bit of their workplace culture story around micromanagement. Do you want to read it out, Em? Because it's a really interesting story. My boss is a notorious micromanager. They record every single task the team performs down to the number of emails sent and every error and mistake each team member makes or goals that they don't deliver on. Then in our team meeting, they name and shame around the table. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's a sad it is story. Sad. <laughs> what do we do, Shell? Yeah, good question. I, I think micromanagement is often it comes out of a need for control. So uh, that probably feels really obvious because it is obvious. It's it's generally a manager who is wanting to exert control and authority over their team members because either A, they don't feel their team members can do the job properly or B, they're, they're trying to show some kind of display of dominance. And so understanding and unpacking that will help us to work out, well, how do we actually address it? Because if there's a control thing going on in the dynamic with me and my manager, it, often uh, these conversations get really complex and messy. It can be insecurity sometimes too. I think we can see someone's behaviour in our, we can see our manager's behaviour and think that they are being egotistical and controlling or on a power trip, but actually that can stem from a place of insecurity for them. So talk about human complexity. That is one of the most That's it. Complex. And it, it's such a common issue. Like this is an extreme version, but all of us can relate to being having an experience maybe at one point or another of being micromanaged and being able to unpack that and dig into that. Sometimes it's ignorance. So sometimes we don't know how we come across in the more mild versions, maybe not in this scenario, but in in a more mild version, it might be that that person was previously an individual contributor that got promoted to a manager. And we know that happens a lot. And sometimes it's uh, very unfortunate when it does. But sometimes it's very successful. <laughs> sometimes, it, yeah, that's right. But I think this episode's toxic workplace culture, so we'll stay on the and unfortunate. And we talked about how we often go to the negatives and I've just done that. That's okay. I'll pull you back out. Come Thanks. on. Yeah. Positive. Sometimes Productive. it works really well. And in lots of cases, cases it does. In instances, in the, especially in the learning and development phase for that person, it might be that they are so used to operating as an individual contributor, they don't know necessarily how to make that transition. 
we've all been there. So they get stuck needing, uh, feeling like they need to be across the detail in order to feel like they know what's going on and a good job's been done and therefore they are doing a good job when they've got a report to their boss. Yes. And so or, we're, yeah. when we're talking about this and, and wanting to address it, say, with our manager, there's a couple of ways we can do that really well and effectively. So, Shell, you think we should go and talk to the manager? Is that what 100%. you're saying? Okay, because I feel like we've just taken a leap there. Yeah. All of a sudden we're going, go into the lion's den. Go on. Yeah, just make it happen. Definitely think there's a conversation that needs to happen in this scenario for sure because I imagine if I was in this team, the whole team would be talking about this because you'd dread those monthly team meetings where you're going, okay, who's going to get named and shamed this week mm. and what are the mistakes and spelling errors and all those kinds of crazy things. So are we making, I mean, I keep interrupting you, but are we making the assumption therefore when we're looking at this solution that this is an organisation where you can vocalise? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I I think for a future episode, we're going to look at should I stay or should I go? Yes, like if, I can't wait for that one. Yeah, if your organisation is, I guess, in a toxic work culture, maybe you do get to the point of looking at whether I should stay or go. But in this scenario, I've made an assumption that, no, it's still a good organisation to work with. It's in a rough patch. Maybe this manager is on a journey of... Benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. And in which case, yes, have a conversation. And so if we go back to the step of step one, diagnose the problem. Well, the problem in this scenario is, is the micromanagement makes the team feel disempowered and makes the team feel like there's a lack of trust. Okay, well, that's that might be the issue at a high level, at a glance. And so then how do we communicate that? This is the key thing. Often team members don't realise that they can actually have those conversations in a constructive and healthy way with their manager. And managers, the, the further up the hierarchy you get, the more disconnected you get with the reality of your staff. So as people progress, and that's why sometimes senior leadership teams don't get that connection to what's happening at the day-to-day level of their staff because they're maybe two, three, four, four steps removed. So I think it's the job of every staff member, every employee to have those conversations, to tell their story, be it to their manager or coworker if they're having a tough experience with maybe a cultural issue, to be able to raise it. And so the way I would do that is really it's just about telling a story. I really agree with you. I think something I've been reasonably restrained on so far is this idea of career self-reliance, but I'm bringing it out now and I'm probably not going to put it away. And for me, when I hear you give this advice, I totally agree with you. And I think in part it's because unless you've tried, how do you know it won't work? And so we'll flip into that. You know, I think that next episode around should I stay or should I go, we'll be able to deep dive a little bit more on this. But until you have tried to have a conversation with this other human who is at work trying to do their best. And I think another assumption we perhaps would be wise to make when we're going into these conversations is everybody turns up at work each day just trying to do their best. Now, best is subjective and there's maybe different versions of best, but if we can just assume that everyone's coming from a good place, then it possibly makes those conversations a little bit easier to enter. Absolutely. And having that self-awareness to go, I'm trying to do my job well and I want to give this person the benefit of the doubt and having the conversation is the fair and reasonable and kind thing to do. Well, you would expect it from your boss, so perhaps offer it to them. That's it. And I think it's much easier to withhold information. It's safer, It's there's less risk, but it's a lot better for the business 
and for every staff member in my belief to actually take that step, take a little bit of the risk, have the conversation because then you know where you stand, but you're also giving that person the opportunity to give you their story. And you might actually get an outcome. I think the risk with keeping it to yourself is there's no solution in that. And to talk to other people about it who maybe are your peers who can't help you with a solution, you're at risk of actually contributing to the development of a toxic workplace because misery breeds company. And um, I'll pull out one stat and that is that more if you were to be somebody that has that toxic outlook uh, or that misery breeds company outlook and you influence people around you, 50% of people thereabouts will actually buy into that and then that's going to breed through the organisation. Absolutely. And it's so easy to fall into that trap, isn't it, of when you're having those conversations with your co-workers, it can really quickly get quite negative. But being able to take that step and go, you know what, I'm not going to engage in this conversation and I'm going to communicate it with someone who has the capacity to make a change. And that is in the scenario that we just read about and talked about, talk to the manager and I, I kind of have a bit of a framework and formula and I love a good framework. Yeah, good. Let's go then. Let's <laughs> of do the how framework. You do, how Everyone you, get your pens and paper out. <laughs> how you actually communicate something that's pretty tough because this is uh, one of my life's passions, talking about the tough issues and the weird stuff that happens at work. So first thing is talk about the theme. So in the micromanagement situation, the theme would be if I was communicating it to my manager I feel there's a lack of trust. So that would be my overarching theme. And then I would go through and unpack the example. So rather than saying micromanagement, so instead of the theme being, the theme is micromanagement. You're a micromanager. That's going to actually put them on the back foot. It's not going to help the conversation go well because it'll make that person feel defensive. But to be able to say, I feel like maybe in this dynamic, there's not a great deal of trust. It's a bit more open. Would you frame that uh, as as if you're talking about the team as a whole or would you sort of avoid because I'm just mindful of if you're sitting in front of an individual I'm not sure that you want to be there talking on behalf of the team I think you're probably there talking for yourself but do you have an opinion on where I'm going with that I I think absolutely talk on behalf of yourself not on behalf of the team I think that's where it can feel like uh, you're lobbying if Mm. you're going in on behalf of the team and um, you're trying to use other people's power, I think it's, it's much more safe and, and someone's going to receive the feedback better if you're just able to say, hey, I've been feeling like for a while there's a bit of lack of trust in this kind of dynamic between you and I and here's my example. And so then you move into the second part, which is first you go theme, second example. So my example is at our team meeting, I do find it a little bit confronting when you get up and, and kind of read and name and shame, and you wouldn't necessarily use name and shame as the word, but you might say when, share. You, when you share the mistakes in front of the team, to me, that's a bit isolating. It makes me feel like X, Y, Z. And then you're actually using that example to support what you feel is happening. So you're saying lack of trust. Here's my example. And then the next thing is the impact. So we go theme, example, impact where we wrap it up and go, the impact on me is that I don't feel like I can trust you. And I would openly say that. I don't feel like I can have any space to make an error. I'm continually fearful that I'm going to make a mistake, which makes me more prone to making mistakes and kind of unpack what the impact is on me in that dynamic. And so there you have your way of 
telling your story in a way that is hopefully going to make that person not feel defensive. And then at the end, I'd say to them, that's my story. Can you tell me what you, what, how you think it's going? So there, I guess you're inviting a level of this is an equal conversation between two humans who are a part of a relationship rather than a power dynamic one way or the other. Yeah, that's right. And I think making sure you leave it open for response. Mm -hmm. So no absolute statements. You're just telling, hey, this is how I feel. This is the impact that that it had on me, right or wrong. This is how I left feeling after that team meeting. And then you're able to invite the person to feed in because they might be saying, well, actually the frequency of all these team errors is so bad that I have to do this because our attention to detail sucks and blah, blah, blah. In which case you might get that better perspective and then together you can sort out, well, let's, how do we work on that? Is there a different way for us to achieve what we need to? So the outcome that we need to achieve maybe doesn't change, but between the two of you, you can go, okay, I'm hearing you. I understand where you're coming from, boss. So now can we just maybe find a slightly different way to get you what you need, but to not have me feeling like I'm not trusted? Yeah, that's right. And so you get to an action at the end of it. And then I think you've given that manager, like we said, the benefit of the doubt that actually this workplace culture can improve and this team culture can improve, but it only will improve as if I'm willing to share my story and experience. Otherwise, it's just going to stay the same. You're right. So quick question for you. We've talked before when we've discussed pay rises about setting up this conversation and not surprising your manager. Would you suggest that the same kind of concept or thinking goes here as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's not it's something that I would bring up in a one-on-one. Yep. Like if you have regular one-on-one meetings, but if you don't have that structure in place, which I know lots of people don't, then I would book something in. Okay. Yeah. Kind of I I think these conversations always need lots of prep. I would write it out because it's a bit of a um, you can never be too prepared. I think I, I still do this whenever I'm having a difficult conversation with a staff member, team member, I will almost write verbatim mm. what I'm going to communicate and then make sure that I've actually included those moments to ask good questions. And that way, um, yeah, you walk in really prepared and you're not going to use those defensive language or words that actually don't elicit the right response. And in a private, quiet space where you're not rushed would be the other advice I would offer. So Mm. we're not doing it in an open plan office. We're doing it in a private meeting room and we're not doing it in a 15-minute time slot between other commitments. Absolutely, Mm. 100%. So I think that's a good kind of quick crash course in workplace culture. But you can apply that same – I love that framework. You can apply – that exact same framework to so many different examples. That's it. Okay, Shell, we got time for just one more if we can do it in three to five minutes. Sweet. Let's try for three. Okay, we'll go for three. Uh, I'm not watching the clock, so you'll have to keep an eye. My coworker often makes inappropriate jokes about team members. Everyone laughs it off. People seem to brush it off as just that person, but it really upsets people and I don't know how to address it. This issue is something that happens quite commonly in workplaces. So to address it, I would use that same framework, theme, example, impact, and I'd sit down with that coworker, maybe over lunch, something a bit less formal than say the talking to our manager. And I would start with saying, hey, the other day I, you made a comment that made me feel uncomfortable. And so that's the theme that I felt uncomfortable. And then I would give the example. So I heard you make a comment to Alex that was talking about their physical appearance and 
when you're saying that, I did feel like that was a bit upsetting and inappropriate. Then I go to the impact. So I would put myself in that other person's shoes and say, if I was in Alex's shoes, I would have felt pretty embarrassed. And that comment would have made me feel humiliated in front of my team members. And so I just thought maybe we could look at some other way of, I think it's still good and important for us to have fun in the workplace, but I don't think it's worth us making jokes at other people's expense. Do you think, Shell, in that situation or in that conversation, you can also say, uh, I'm not sure if that, I, I don't think that's how you would have intended it to come across. So I really just wanted to take this minute to kind of have the conversation with you to try and avoid any issues in the future or something to that effect? Totally. I think that's a beautiful way of framing it because most people don't intend to humiliate or embarrass someone. And so it is the kind thing to do to give them and communicate your concern with them so that they can go, oh, wow. In most, in most cases, the person's going to be like, crap, like I in no way intended to make that person feel like that. Thank you so much for the heads up. I'm, now I feel embarrassed, I'll go and apologise or I won't do it again or, or what have you. Absolutely. How would we close? Anything else we need to do, Shell? And then I reckon we have to wrap it up. I've been keeping half an eye on the time. Yeah, I think it's just remembering that as every team member, staff member, employee has a capacity to influence culture, no matter where you are in the hierarchy and that you can actually make a difference. And so it's looking at, okay, how do I diagnose the problem? And then how do I tell my story to the right person so that we can see change in this culture. Awesome. So a few conversations to have and then next time we'll come back and we'll work out should I stay or should I go. Yeah, it'll be fun. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.